0: So what words should you use? What words should come out of your mouth? I think this question in our time has actually taken on additional importance. The culture is right when it recognizes that our words today, with them, we can actually go nuclear. And we can't. Not unlike Hiroshima. Technology enables us to impact so many more people at the same time. We went from swords to guns to nuclear. Same thing with words. We've gone from talks and conversations to the printing press to now, when we can all go nuclear with words. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. We're continuing our walk through the book of Ephesians, and we're picking up here the latter part of Ephesians chapter 4 and then the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, and this is what the Apostle Paul writes to us. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer Rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk In the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is God's Word. What words should we use? What words should come out of our mouths? This is, of course, a pastor question. Words are to pastors what the law is to police officers, what coding is to programmers. Words are a a pastor thing. They're my craft. Words are my scalpel, They are my healing, my balm, my guidance, my Christ, my sacrament. Everything that I do, I do with words. So they're a pastor thing, but they're not just a pastor thing. Anytime you use words, they matter. Words narrate things. They make worlds. They destroy worlds. Words alone can leave you crying in the dark. Words alone can can take you to the celestial heights of bliss. Words alone can crush your heart and words alone can heal it. Words alone have made nations and words alone have torn them apart. So what words should you use? What words should come out of your mouth? I think this question in our time has actually taken on additional importance. The culture is right when it recognizes that our words today with them we can actually go nuclear. And we can. Not unlike Hiroshima. Technology enables us to impact so many more people at the same time. We went from swords to guns to nuclear. Same thing with words. We've gone from talks and conversations to the printing press to now, when we can all go nuclear with words. Just press a button. And millions upon millions of people can simultaneously hear your words. So what should we say? What words should come out of our mouths? Here we are. We are in... Ephesians chapter 4. And we just got done listening to Paul tell us that we got to put off the old and we need to put on the new. And then what he does in this section is he gives us a whole bunch of different examples of how we can take off the old and and put on the new. And I can't cover all of it today, but I can cover almost all of it under this one topic of what do we do with our words? What do we do with our language? And I want to do it under this theme. Before you share, have a care. Is it true? Are you angry? Is it constructive? Before you share, have a care. Is it true? Paul says, don't lie. It's got to be true. Why, why, why shouldn't we lie? Why has why, why it got to be true? Paul tells us, he says, because we are members of one body. That's why. In other words, because truth, or lies rather, it destroys relationships. I, I think I just got to give you one illustration of this to make this clear. Let's take the most foundational human relationship there is, marriage. I've been a pastor for a while, and I've learned some things about being a pastor. I've learned when dealing with couples that there is one thing that destroys a relationship quicker than anything else. I've seen seen Christian marriages survive the deepest relational traumas. With Christ and His forgiveness, I've seen it. They do, they are, and they will. They have survived the deepest of relational traumas, but what I've noticed is most quickly fatal is the lie. So here's a truth about lies lies destroy relationships. Because relationships are built on trust. So don't lie. Speak the truth. Easy, right? I got this. Tell the truth. Don't. I got this. Pastor, I got this. Not so fast. You can be right about something... But not be true. You ever thought about that? You know it in your gut that I'm right. You can be right with the facts, and you can be wrong to share them. It's not just that the facts are right, but that, but that also your heart, as you share it, is in line with God and is with best for somebody else. You can be right and not be true. So not so fast. And that's just my first of all. Here's my second of all. I told you a couple weeks ago that we're living through a crisis of truth, a crisis of knowledge. Nobody knows what's true anymore. So I feel like I have a duty this morning to help you know what's true. I want to give you some diagnostic tools. You ready? I got five. How do we know it's true? So we can share it, number one. Check the reliability and the credibility of your sources. Are they reliable? Are they credible? Do other grounded Christians agree with you on that? Check the reliability and check the verifiability of your sources. Number two, check the authority of your sources? Is the truth, the, the truth claim that you're believing, does it come from somebody God has put in your life with proper authority to share it with you? Or does it come from somewhere else? If you're going around propagating medical information that doesn't come from your doctor, that's a red flag. Check the authority of your sources. Does that person have a calling from God to deliver that truth into your life? Number three, this might be the most important one. Check your humility. None of us actually know that much. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. We just don't. I don't know that much. The the, the people who think they know a lot know the least. None of us know that much. And you know what? That's okay. God hasn't called us to be omniscient. He's omniscient. We don't have to be omniscient. None of us know that much. And what that means is that we all need to stay in our lane and stay in our calling. So, So if you come to me and you ask me, who are the Nephilim pastor in Genesis chapter 6? You're probably going an earful. But if you come to me and you say, Pastor, how do I, you know, plumb my kitchen? I'm going to say, here's the number of the company that's twice saved my bacon. we got to stay in our lane. If we're sharing things... Like, this is what I think about nuclear physics. And we're not a scientist or an engineer. We're probably not taking Paul very seriously. Check your humility. None of us actually know that much. Number four, check your slander. A lot of what people call truth-telling today is actually slander. Christians have never thought that we should share something just because it's true. That's never what we thought. We have the eighth commandment check your slander. It's a sin to share things that hurt people's reputations, and sin is not true to God. Check your slander. Number five, this is definitely the most important one check the word. Check the Word. Jesus, our Lord, prayed to his Father. Father, your Word is truth. Check the Word. If it's not in line with the Word, you know what to do with it. Here's the bottom line. Christians are not natural-born liars. We are spirit-born truth-tellers. We are those who have been given the truth of the gospel... We have those, are those who have been told that our sins are forgiven in Christ. We are those who have been filled with the Spirit and the Spirit's word has set us free in Jesus' name. Would we as Christians even possibly, maybe, ever tell a lie? Have a, have a, have a care before you share. Is it true or are you angry I want to I get past the discussion right now that people have about anger you can hear all kinds of sermons and scriptures and writings on this anger is morally neutral people say it's okay to be angry that's what they say They're right. In a theoretical world, if we live life in a vacuum, it's okay to be angry. It's not morally sinful. Paul would agree with you. God gets angry, and therefore it's not a sin to get angry. In a vacuum, in a theoretical world, it's okay to get angry. But let's get past that today. (laughs) Because we don't live in a theoretical world, we live in a real world with real consequences. And we're not God. (laughs) See, God can get angry and he never overreacts. God can get angry and he never says something that he actually doesn't mean. But we do. Brandy Levy is a case that has become big news recently. She was trying out for her cheerleading team, and she didn't make it. So she goes home, and she gets on social media, and I'm going to have to censor this. She said, beep cheer, beep the school, beep everything. She was mad, and she let it rip. Have we done that? Paul says, when we do that, when you know, you know how that is. You get that text, your brow starts to furrow. You're like, you got that email. You're going, you're ready. I'm going to let this thing rip. Don't do it. Don't do it. Paul says, you do that, you're going to give the devil a toehold. You're going to give him a foothold in your life. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to put that toehold right in your heart. He's going to climb up to the top of it. And he's going to stick his flag in it, just like the U.S. did on the moon. You've all felt it in your soul. I know you have. Say it. That's what he says. Say it. Say it. You're mad. Say it. I want a divorce. Say it. Come on, say it. You're nothing to me. Say it. Come on, say it. Have we done it? God have mercy on our souls. And he does. He got angry with Jesus in our place, and he has forgiven us our sin. God has had mercy on our souls. But before you ever do it again, ask yourself before you speak, am I angry? I don't care what kind of anger it is. There's different kinds of anger. Like there's, there's like the hot and heavy kind of anger that, that produces fireworks in your life. You know what I'm talking about? And then there's the low, slow boil. You know you got that when you got these caustic sort of critical mo- remarks that are always coming out of your mouth? Your anger's on a low simmer. When you're there, don't say it. Before you ever do, Paul says, you deal with your anger. You deal with it. I want to give you some guidance on that. When I was in premarital counseling, my wife and I were, and the pastor had it wrong, actually. The pastor, we got to this passage, and the, and the pastor said, before you go to bed at night, you don't, you, know, you don't want to let the sun go down. Before you go to bed at night, you, you got to work out your marital issues. That's what he said. He was wrong. That's not what it says. What's the verse say? It doesn't say you got to resolve your, your relational conflict. What does he say? Before the sun goes down, you Resolve your anger. You don't need another person to do that. You just need God. You know where anger comes from? That kind of anger that stays in your soul, produces grievances. and You know where that comes from? It comes from pride. You can only be angry at people that you feel morally superior to. You know that? Why are you angry at somebody? Because you feel like you're a better person than them. You can look down on them. You can be mad at them. Why do you, why do you feel like you can just go off on somebody like they deserve it? Why, do, why? Because you think you deserve more than they do. You're prideful. You're full of pride. You don't need anybody else to deal with that. You just need God. I, look, I know this better than anybody else. We live in a very angry age. We all know this. Everybody's mad these days. Everybody's mad. And you know what happens? This is what happens. This is confessional time. When you're a pastor in an age when, when everybody gets angry, do you know what happens? You know the truth. You know that God wants you to be a person of peace and love In a time of anger. Do you know what happens though? Occasionally, I get angry about all the angry people. (laughs) Irony of ironies, right? I'm feeling morally superior about all the angry people. So I'm angry about the angry people, and I'm angry. That's messed up. That's when you know you're a sinner. I don't need anybody else's help with that. I just need God. I need to be saved more than anybody else. So do you. I'm a sinner more than anybody else. So are you. We don't need anybody but God. We need God to humble us and to love us. And he's pretty good at that. Paul, he just, he just won't let it go. Did you notice that? He calls you dearly loved children of God. Dearly loved children of God. He said you are dearly loved children of God. He just won't let it go. You are dearly loved children of God. How loved are you? What did Paul say? How loved are you? Christ himself. See, Christ himself became a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I thought about that for a long time this past week because I wanted you to think about it for a long time right now. Christ is this fragrant sacrifice to God. Have you ever thought about this? What's, what do they say is the sense in your body that connects you more firmly to the past? You know what they say it is? It's your sense of smell. Christ is a fragrant, see, he's a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's something, there's something smelly about this, something visceral About this, what do you think it smelled like? I'm just wondering. Do you think it was lilacs? You think it's that's what it was like? Do you you think it's like the scent of your favorite body wash? I don't. A sacrifice requires a dead body, and fire. What's that smell like? It smells like justice had in the body of Jesus Christ. It smells like forgiveness won through the cross. It smells like the hot anger of God received by Jesus Christ in our place is that lilacs? Is that your favorite body wash? I don't think so. This is something visceral. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is how you have been loved. See, when you catch a whiff of that, when you, when you smell that, you can't be proud And when you can't be proud, you can't be angry. And what happens instead is you are filled with compassion. Because everybody's saved just like you. Before you share, have a care. Are you angry? And is it constructive? One thing that I want you to know about God is he is not into blowing hot air. He's not. He's he's not into it. Paul says, don't speak a worthless word. Don't bother. God is not into hot air. The only hot air I figure God is, is into is the kind that makes hot air balloons go up in the air. That's it. Because God wants our words to be helpful. To be beneficial. The only kind of words that should be coming out of our mouths are are words that are helping people along to God's goals, words that are constructive. That's it. You know what I think is fascinating is, is to think about Jesus as a case study of this. Jesus never wasted a word. This is why when you study Jesus' words, they're so compact, they're so dense that you can spend the rest of your life thinking about Christ's words because they're deep as an ocean. Christ never wasted a word and he never spoke one for himself. Never once. He he never went, I I just got to put this out there. I just got to vent right now. He never did that all his words, he spoke for others. To heal us, to convict us, to guide us, to forgive us, to win us. He never spoke for himself. He only spoke for others. I heard a, I heard a story, an apocryphal story from my twin brother about a pastor who once did a children's sermon. He has a the children come to the front of the church. You know how that is. And, and then the pastor's doing this little children's talk with the children. And he asked, the pastor asked the kids, what kind of good words can we share with other people? And the kids are great about it. The kids are great. One little boy st- sticks his little chubby hand in the air, and he says, I know what words we can share. We can say a prayer. It's good. Say a prayer. That's a good word we can share. Another little girl, you know. This little goody two shoes, I got one. We can pay a compliment. It's good, we can pay a compliment. And these little kids are getting, around. we can we can share information, we can we can be nice to somebody, we can we can they have all these good words. And then there's this quiet little thoughtful girl off in the corner. And finally she raises her hand and she said. I think our words should be like little silver boxes with bows on top. Little silver boxes with bows on top. Little gifts for the world. There is some urgency to this, I'd have you know. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, was wrong. He thought that God was an unmoved mover. He was wrong. God is quite moved by our words. That's what Paul says. He says, "Do not grieve the holy Spirit of God. You are sealed with him for your redemption." Did you know that you can make God sad? He's not unmoved. He's moved. He's moved by our words. You can make God sad. By the way, you know what happens when God gets sad. The first time in the Bible when the Holy Spirit gets sad. Do you remember what happened? The flood. You don't want to make God sad. I know you don't. I know you don't. And I know you don't. Because that good Holy Spirit is in you. And you know what good words he has for you. He is God the Holy Spirit who has put the gospel into your heart. He is God the Holy Spirit who is constantly reminding you that you are forgiven. He is God the Holy Spirit who is alive and well in your heart filling you. I know you don't want to make him sad and I know that he lives in you. I was reminded of that last week because I I came to church and I had a lot on my mind and I'm preaching this sermon after I get done with the sermon I realized that there was this whole good word about Jesus that I forgot to tell you. I was sad about it. I went home and I said, I forgot. I texted my friend and I said, I forgot this part that I wanted to share about Jesus. And you know what my friend texted back? This is what my friend said. He said, the Holy Spirit will remind them of Jesus. Because that's exactly what he does. He reminds you who you are. He reminds you what your future is. He is God's good word in your soul. I know you don't want to make him sad. So, before you share, have a care. Is it true Are you angry? Is it constructive? So there you have it. There's my word about words. And now I'm all out. I'm going to have to go and run all my words through those three questions myself before I hazard any more. I want to close with this question. What will your next words be? You are the people of God, loved by Him, forgiven by Christ, filled, just filled, with the Holy Spirit. You were made, you were created, you were purposed to speak good words into God's world. Prayer, a compliment, a correction, a hope, a love, a care. Little silver boxes with bows on top. I, for one, can't wait to open them. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. For your Apostle Paul, who's given us this teaching today about how we can honor you with our words. We ask, Lord, that you plant this wisdom that you've given us into our hearts deeply. That our words might never be destructive to somebody else or dishonor your name, but that instead, our words might be true. Our words might come from a compassionate heart. And our words might construct others Through Jesus Christ our Lord, I pray. Amen.